the Combat Chat Podcast. This is an Aussie based show covering everything to do Muay Thai, submission grappling, MMA boxing, and weird news the fight world has to offer each week. Now it's time to start and chill with your boys, Shane, Trent, and Hugh. Hey, yo. Okay, look, guys, we're just going to take uh, just a quick moment here before we go into the main bulk of our podcast. Okay, um, so if you're listening to now, you probably heard over the weekend from there, there was meant to be a big stellar show on war, war on the shore with our friends, Mark P's, Mr. C and that involved. And it got, which then Queensland went into a snap lockdown and that show had to get canceled from there. Yeah. Um, Mark Castanese has um, like very, you know, very helpfully set up a GoFundMe for them to help cover, uh, cover a lot of their costs. So, you know, show costs money. They fall the guys there. Like it happened on fight day, uh, everyone involved from that one. So like, you know, if you check in the description link below, there's a there's a link there to help them out. So if there's any time like as now, if you if you are part of the Muay Thai community and you want to grow the Muay Thai community, we have to help each other out. Absolutely, and you know, like uh, appreciate times are really difficult, and not everyone will have something to give, and that's cool. If you have just a couple of bucks, um, you know, we can all kind of come together and and support these. Like I think it's really important. A lot of shows have been cancelled. Um, you know, because of the pandemic, it's been happening a lot all over Australia. Um, but this isn't just a cancellation. You know, like any time a show is cancelled, whether it's a week or two weeks out, um, you know, there's investment from the promoter that, that they won't see again. Um, but this is so unsalvageable. It's not just that the fight was, that the show was cancelled. The work was done. You know, like Queensland going to snap lockdown from 4pm. The fight was supposed, the show was supposed to start at 6 the fighters had all been like the interstaters had been flown in. Everyone had weighed in. So it's not just the way that like the fighters, like to me, my heart breaks for anyone who has to make weight for a fight that doesn't go ahead. Cause that's when you've done the work. Like you earned your way to the, the way to the starting point there. Like what's left is what you want to do. You know, that's really what your, your job's to make way. Like you're earning the chance to fight. That's always how, how I look at it. But you know, the ring was getting set up. The venue was quite ritzy at, at the star casino. A lot of contractors have to be paid. Um, people who have done work um, this is not a question of you know giving someone anything this is a question of recouping what's been what's been invested in this and the more that we all help out the quicker we can get this back in the books hopefully Queensland's lockdown really is only three days and they can just turn this right around but if all the expenses that are involved with this just are just sunk uh, it's going to be very difficult for the promoters to um to get going again so you know this is about the fighters them you know they've done their work they want the chance to you know and it's already brutal you know these guys are maybe going to have to make weight again in what one week two weeks but what we we can all help is to get them the chance to get in there and compete you know like the the promoters are at a massive loss at this point no one really could have predicted this it's such like just a shitty luck of the draw situation you know like if this had been one week prior everything would have gone off without a hitch um you know but um yeah like we said some not everyone in, in these trying times will have something to give and that's cool if you got just look if everyone in in the, around the community gives a couple of bucks we can help a lot so you know keep that in mind um try to you know war on the shores uh, you know an, an awesome show a foundation show that we're all excited i think everyone who's been following with after a while has very fond memories of war on the shore there's some awesome legendary performances from from back in the day it's making a comeback uh it'll it'll be very difficult to see after all the effort that's gone in that comeback not get to go ahead so hopefully we can all 
do our bit, do our bit and help out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just remember again, the, this link is in the description box down below. Yeah. So if you're listening, like, you know, whatever platform, it'll be down there. Okay, guys. So, yeah. So give what you can. All right. So um, onto the show. See you yeah. soon. Cool. So. Um, so we do have a guest on the podcast here. He does a trains out of Gav's gym in WA. He runs hybrid strength and conditioning. Max McVicker. And his name is Lachlan Wilkinson. How are you today, sir? Yeah, not bad, mate. How are you? Ah, uh, I'm going I'm going good on the second time I'm doing this. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I've got to be the kind person and make sure I respond with the other uh, question as well. That's <laughs> of that professional. All right. So like we were just saying before, let's let's get a bit of background information on you. So how did you get into Muay Thai? And then afterwards from there, let's talk about like, you know, your conditioning roles in, in the yeah. sport itself. Easy. Um, yeah, so like I was saying, I, I had a very weird introduction to Muay Thai specifically. Um, never really been a fighter myself. I'm a pretty passive person. Um, but my dad, a little bit of the opposite story. Um, he was known as the person who would go over, like my family's, um, all my family are in the Navy. So they were traveling around a lot. Thailand is one of the uh, main spots that they would stop off in. And as you know, in Thailand, they've got the bar fights going on. My dad was the one who would always be putting his hand up and jumping in. <laughs> so I remember being eight, seeing a video, very choppy video, probably about 240p, terrible quality of my dad fighting someone, I reckon he'd been 20 kilos heavier. He, ba he bashed him, eh? absolutely bashed him. And I was watching, I was like, is this you? Like looking at my dad, is this you? And he's like, he didn't seem too proud of it, but you could also see that little smirk on him. Like, yeah, that's me. That's me. Um, so since then, like I kind of very interested in how he trained after that, because I never even noticed that he trained. I was always busy being a kid going outside, you know, digging in the dirt and shit. Um, but then, so I got into, like, I went to my first couple of Muay Thai classes when I was younger didn't really stick on with it because I was playing football or soccer at the time. So probably did it for like a month and then went and played soccer, did that for fuck 10 years until I got to 19, 19, 20. Um, and then probably since then has been when my like combat sports just took over. Hey, I don't know. It's like, as I came out of high school, the typical UFC going over to the mates places to watch UFC, um, I became obsessed. It was weird. Like I was watching fights every day more than I was watching football and the sports that I actually played growing up at the time. So, and I was, I was thinking about it and it, it must've been something that really stuck with me if I was continuing to watch it and continuing to pay attention because I don't have the biggest attention span with things that I don't enjoy. Like growing up in high school, um, I was the kid who never had an understanding of what was going on I was always asking my friends yo how do I do this like looking over, like looking over their shoulder oh, that's it okay cool yeah writing down my work how do I do this how do I do that um and it's because I never had an interest in anything um and then as soon as it kind of came that yeah combat sports was an interest I started getting into fitness and very very quickly I tore my lower back <laughs> not a good way to start into training um as an 18 year old tearing the lower back after high school is not what you want to be doing all my mates are going out clubbing having a good time i was pretty much bedridden for about three months um kind of scared me 
I was thinking in that three months, what is this, is this how it's going to be now? Because obviously you hear people with injuries and they're 20, that when it happens, they're 40 and they're still dealing with that same injury. It was just in my head. I was getting a little bit uh, very anxious about it, very anxiety ridden. So I decided to, once my back was better, go get a trainer, um, learn how to exercise properly. Uh, went through a couple different evolutions of my training. I started out um, the typical weight loss. I used to weigh about 94 kilos. So I weigh about 72 now. Um, so I lost a lot of weight. Uh, went through the typical, felt empowered because I lost that, weight, that amount of weight. Led me to becoming a personal trainer. Um, when I was doing personal training, it was pretty much just simple. Getting people in, getting them moving. Um, and fucking up a lot, making a lot and a lot of mistakes with people um, and just learning on the job. And then as, as, you, as I kind of got, got older, my, like I said, my attention span isn't the best. And as soon as I don't have a goal in something or something to actively work towards or a why, it's my attention's gone. It's just not even an interest to me anymore. So now that that, empowerment and I guess ego side of me had taken a little bit of a um like dumbed down in volume uh started getting a little bit more excited about the strength side of things so my training kind of adapted to more getting stronger um spent that doing that for about six months and it's just basic training just doing some study here and there um and then what COVID pretty much happened yeah, I was living in Sydney for about six months before COVID. I was living in, um, actually, I don't know what it's called. It was somewhere in the Sutherland Shire. Um, actually, no, it was, it was on the canal somewhere. But it was, I live in Rockingham in Western Australia, if you know where that is. Um, very definitely not living on the canals kind of scene. <laughs> it's uh, walking around the shops in your Ugg boots and track pants on. So it was a very new area for me. Spent six months there, tried to live in Sydney, being a trainer, thinking that would be the like the place for me. Learned very quickly that it's probably not. Um, I was gonna, I was really looking for a place to start doing Muay Thai around that area. When I was doing my strength training, that was kind of a stagnant time for me. It was just a case of training to train. Um, I was wanting to look, looking for a Muay Thai gym, but me being the passive person that I was and letting the anxiety get to me, I didn't. I didn't. I left it for six months. Um, moved back to WA. Got a job opportunity back here. Um, pretty much picked my shit up and left. Had no money in my account. Very scary time. Uh, signed my contract back on fuck, like the March. The 1st of March. And then we got locked down on the 21st. Dude, it was not a fun time. Hey, I was pretty much homeless. I reckon probably from March to November, I was pretty much homeless. It was a very good time, but I had, I guess, a little bit of roots so I could kind of stay to my own corner. Um, I was safe, had my, uh, had my computer set up um, so I could at least keep myself occupied. Um, and then that's when I uh, came across, you guys have probably heard of him, Phil DeRue. Mm. Yeah. Man, that dude is a, he is, he's a pioneer. Yeah. Um, I came across his stuff, watched a couple of his YouTube videos. Um, and I think probably over the next three days, I watched his whole YouTube library. 
like the typical kind of how you get started into somebody. Um, and then on one of his videos, he had the ad for his mentorship, which was like half price at the time. It was like full life access, week like fortnightly mentorship calls with him and full access to how he trains. So I was like, that's a no brainer. So I spent a thousand dollars to get a part of that mentorship. And that was in March last year. And since then I have just noticed it's like every month, man, every two months, you take a step up, you evolve, you look back on how you've progressed and it's, it's, it's really eye-opening. Hey, it, re it really evolves you as a person once you find that purpose. And I think like the interesting combat sports are there. So I was like, okay, let's, let's look at how we train fighters. Um, but there's a big plot hole in just looking at how you train fighters, especially from someone who has never fought a day in their life. You know what I mean? So I looked at that and I said, okay, if I'm going to look to actually do this for a living or try and do something with my career with it, I need to actively do it. So as soon as the gyms reopened, I um, went down to Beastmasters with David, David McVicker um, and I've been training there ever since. Um, so what started training there in mid June last year. Um, and I think since then I've pretty much trained five days a week, trained five days a week, um, tried to live the athletes lifestyle from the get go, because obviously if I wanted to understand what they were doing, needed to put myself in their shoes. Um, and it very quickly became that long lost passion that I didn't even know I had. Like I love Muay Thai. I love Muay Thai and everything that I've done, I feel like since then has been how to not just better me, um, but better my teammates because obviously like you guys know, it's very like individual sports, but so much camaraderie in it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that kept me going is it felt like a family pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, since then, man, I've just kept trying to elevate myself every day in some sense, not just in strength and conditioning, but in Muay Thai as well. Um, and I feel like that's just brought me to this new place in life that now I feel like I not like I've not experienced things like I have been through some shit, but like I'm only 22. So a lot of it is still to come, but I feel like just taking a step back and looking at what everyone else is doing. There's a lot of holes that could be filled with just some simple, like just some simple changes in people's training regimens and training schedules. Um, and I feel like that I could have a big imp or not a big impact. Like just, a, I could give a bit of value to some fighters if they're like just having some stagnation in their training. Um, especially as well, because with, like with fighting is 90% mindset, in my opinion, like I've seen what I've probably in the last year, there's been a few fighters that I've looked at in camp and I've gone, Jesus Christ. Like they look so ready, so prepared, mentally on point. And then they get in the fight and then they don't, it's, it's completely different fighter. Um, I think that there has also been one of those things that gave me even more of a reason to keep training because they've been doing it for six years and they're having those moments. I, I've only been training a year. So I think just with a couple over the, over the next like few years with the, as the Muay Thai scene improves as well. I think these holes are going to get filled 
Um, but I just want to do what I can to help fill them right now, fill them as soon as possible, especially with the lockdowns going on. I feel like it's going to be even more stagnated, but um, I just, I just love the, I just love the sport, dude. I just love the sport. I want to do what I can to help everyone in it and um, get them to be the, the best, the best fighter that they can be. Mm. Sorry, that was really messy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like that. I like that. I, I, I'm going to uh, uh, hop in here because I know uh, with the mention of uh, Phil DeRue and, and that kind of, uh, you know, scientific kind of strength and conditioning training and, and how it applies to fighting. Shane is very much of, of that yep. frame of mind as a trainer. It's um, And I know Phil DeRue has actually been an influence on, on Shane as well. So I know you guys are going to have a lot to say. But you say something that interests me and I'm always interested to ask this question. Uh, as like a current Muay Thai fighter. Um, and I've been lucky to be exposed to that, I suppose. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it, whether it's non-traditional or, or modern kind of training lens that incorporates the strength and conditioning. You say something that I hear a lot from people kind of applying that uh, kind of strength and conditioning studied focus to Muay Thai is that you said you, you saw really, uh, really wide open gaps. Um, I think Muay Thai, a lot of the time the conversation is, people you know the uh i guess structure of the training is borrowed from from thailand like people want to train authentically and the conversation is you know people are, are working on a training regime of course techniques number one uh that's what that's what gets you across the line and and strength and conditioning is kind of like a, a supporting mechanism and accelerator so. but a lot of the time people operate on this thing all you need to do is run and kick the pads you know, that's, that's uh, still really like a high level fighters operating in that mentality. And it's because if you go to Thailand, often that will be what is said, um, you know, by yeah, uh, kind of some elder statesmen will be, you know, all you got to do is go long running and, and kick a knee the bag. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to, to get a little bit uh, as we get into it, where were the gaps that you saw? Because you've worked with some high level fighters, of course. Yeah, well, d- describe some of um, when you start to take that that focus and get a little bit of your study done, what what were the the really uh, obvious holes that emerged to you right away? Um, so obviously, I don't have any experience in Thailand, so that's something that as soon as the borders are open, I plan on doing. I plan on going and doing like a three to four month stay out there, yeah, nice. just to experience. Because obviously, there's fighters that go and spend six months there and come back. If I have a a fighter come into me who's been training in Thailand for six months. I want to have an understanding of what they've been doing in that six months. Um, but for me, I think the first one is training schedule layout. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, I'll see fighters coming into the gym an hour before their session. And they'll be doing some kind of anaerobic conditioning, um, might be doing some kind of strength work. Don't get me wrong. Like I think with working most like nine times out of 10, a fighter is working every day because there's not a lot of money in Muay Thai, sadly. Um, So they've got to try and squeeze in what they can. Um, But when that's the case, it's a case of finding out what it is that you need to work on. You know what I mean? Having one goal or one focus point in mind at each point in training to make sure that you're actually progressing rather than just spinning your wheels in the dirt. Because as the human body, got quite a few different systems that are, dictate progression, dictate what stimulus we do and what our body or how our body performs. And if we try and do all three of them, it's just going to be a mess. We're going to send the body in two different directions and we're not going to achieve anything. So I think if people can just look at their training schedule, say like they're doing four Muay Thai sessions, one on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, uh, 
one on a Thursday and then a Saturday morning, let's say that. I would personally make sure that you're not doing any strength sessions six hours in like within six hours of those sessions. Um, and think that's not just strength sessions that I'd do the same thing with any kind of aerobic session. So long distance runs. Um, and then that'd be the same with any kind of conditioning sessions that you would do. So I would try and separate them as best as you can, because then that way you have enough time to recover between each session. And you know that what you've done in that session is actively going to better you rather than, you know, it's like having a phone that's never getting fully charged eventually the battery is going to die. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it might still go down, still have a good battery life, but over time, over a year, that phone's going to go from having a hundred percent capacity to 60% capacity, just because you've been working it so hard and you've never been giving it any time to recover. So I think if fighters just, yeah, looked at their sessions and give themselves a few hours with between each of their sessions, they would notice uh, performance gains tenfold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another one I really think as well that, goes along with that training schedule layout because a lot, I don't know about you guys, but down here in WA, I feel like most of the Muay Thai sessions start around seven to seven 30 at night for fighters. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, and what sessions go for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Nine, nine 30, you finish, get home half an hour, like you shower, have some food. By the time you finish food, it's 10 30. You know, you might have a girlfriend, talk to your girlfriend for half an hour, let your food settle. And then it's bedtime what you like if you've got to get up around what what's the time let's say six o'clock in the morning you're yeah. getting to bed at 11 you're probably going to get a best like six six and a half hours of sleep and i'm a huge culprit for this because as a, as a trainer i have to get up at four o'clock every morning mm. um so if you can do your best to try and time your your session schedule as well to maximize your sleep that there will improve your performance more than anything. Cause there's like, there's been a study that's been released recently. Uh, sleep's been no, like known to one, reduce the chance of injury by 50%, which is huge. Like absolutely huge. Um, increase testosterone by 10 to 15%. That's another huge thing that if you think about that, if you've got, if you're against someone and you know that you've been focusing on everything you can, including your sleep, you're probably going to have a little bit of an advantage over your opponent. If, especially at the lower levels, obviously as you start getting to the elite levels, they're focusing a lot more on those things, but mm. I'm more kind of aiming at the amateur lower level fighters at the moment who might not have the ability to get a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. Um, because yeah, if you, if you're able to get that six to eight hours of sleep, I guarantee you're going to improve. Even if that means trying to find say getting a nap before your training sessions. Um, that's one thing I've noticed is really helping my clients as well. Um, trying to think of some other things like another one that's, it's so, so basic. And I feel like it's a broken record for saying this is about the importance of hydration and like for fighters that are so comfortable water loading, when it gets to the stage that, that like weight cut week, some of them are drinking one and a half liters a day, <laughs> which is just nowhere near the level that they need to be drinking and well, they probably yeah. get that much during the session as well so yeah exactly like you're like i reckon for me i probably sweat like over a liter and like my two hour session at night time and i train twice a day hmm. like so you could imagine that over time you know especially with other fighters expe especially if you spent time in thailand like that heat acclimation that you get 
it increases your ability to sweat. So you're probably sweating out more water mm. and that they're like, well, I'm, I'm going to bring out another scientific study here. I'm pretty sure that every 2% of hydration that you lose, you lose um, your mental, like mental cognitive, co cognitive function. Sorry, I can't speak. Every an extra 2% on top of that, you lose your strength ability as well. And then another 2% on top of that, you increase your chance of concussions. And yeah. like, let's be real, concussions are pretty damn likely to happen in Moisai. So if we can stay hydrated to do our best to prevent that, then I'm all for it. Mm, definitely. Um, let's try and like when I tell people to drink water, so I like to also, and, they, and this is what Phil Drew told me. So I could, so I was lucky to do like a, a, I think it was a two day or three day seminar down here. Mm. Came in, yeah. that, was, that really opened a lot. I think that was, I was actually on his portal. I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it was cool. Like Phil is really knowledgeable. He was like, even saying, like, you know, you just even add something like, you know, a pinch of Himalayan sea salt in your water. Yeah. It's just mm. natural work light. And this, like, the hydration like you'll get a better chance of hydrating you shouldn't say like you know in out straight away yeah yeah it's such basic things but like i feel like i need to say it because it's one of those things i feel like if it was in pill form every athlete would take it they'd be like yeah. sweet like give it to me but because it's something so simple of just like drinking water being a human you know what i mean getting sleep every night it it gets left it gets left behind definitely yeah so, like, that's um, one thing shane's hammered home really hard for me <laughs> i always get shit talked um, in my non-fighting life about how much water I drink back. Like, man, why do you drink so much water? Like, you don't get it. <laughs> it's just, it's just, just the hydration champ. <laughs> you know, like, dude, I think I probably drink about four liters of water a day and it's gotten to the stage now where if I'm not drinking water, like, I get thirsty. <laughs> Start getting thirsty pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm the same. It's definitely a, a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, like, when you work with, like, athletes and that's, like, same thing, like, similar problems that I have again that's what I'm just going to draw from but a fighter from here is like let's say he's doing all the right stuff he's like um like that you, you want to see as a coach he's in there like five six days a week he might be doing his runs as well from there so like if if you're only able to see your um your client like say like maybe twice a week you're lucky from that yeah. one you know most of the time when you uh get to a fighter what's usually like um some of the the, the first lines of like you know what what do you have to address with them that you find that's pretty atypical across the board okay so like obviously like for me i'd like to have someone come in quite a few months before their flight i'd like to have a decent amount of time with them to be able to address the athlete first rather than the fighter first because if i have someone coming in they've got four weeks to fight date I'm probably not going to be able to iron out many compensation patterns within their body and within their biomechanics. I'm going to have to sit there and actively think about what's going to prepare them best for their fight. So I think if it was in a sense of someone coming in with four weeks, teaching you and making sure they're doing plyometrics every session, uh, making sure that they're doing the right forms of conditioning, um, yeah, obviously making sure those things are in place. Uh, but pretty much just making sure that they are like teaching their body the ability to be explosive because very hard to translate to someone in the gym how to be explosive all the time. Sometimes they just don't understand it. Like, for example, if I were to get someone to do a box jump, most of the time their thought process is going to be to jump onto this box, not to jump as high as I can and use the box as a landing, if that makes sense because it's the, the thought of me jumping as high as I can, which is going to get me the stimulus that I want. It's going to cause me to jump higher than I did last session. 
Whereas if I'm thinking of just jumping onto a 24 inch box every time, I'm probably going to jump 25 inches, if that makes sense. So it's teaching them the ability, like teaching them that thought process, but then as well, teaching them how to carry that over into their Muay Thai. Because a lot of the time in the Muay Thai patterns, it's all subconscious. Most of like everything that people do, especially when they become, like they've had three, four, five fights under them, it starts to get to the stage where it's pretty ingrained in their movement. Um, so you don't have to obviously teach them anything to do with that. I think if you just teach them how to be explosive in other areas, they can carry that over themselves. Yeah. Um, What's like when I, when I think like plyometric work for like for a lot of fighters, like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh yeah. So like, do you uh, of the mindset though, like to be explosive, you got to earn that a bit. Like, you, you know, it's better to be stronger and then, and then teach like a plyometric mode itself. Uh, Cause I, I always think like the potentiality of being more explosive is like, you know, comes to like your strength, it comes down yeah. to like, your current strength levels. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I just, I think it depends on like the same thing. It depends on the athlete. It depends on the individual that you've got in front of you. Um, if they already have the means of being strong, then I think plyometrics should take the forefront if they've never done them in the past, because you know that they've already got that strong base. Once you teach them the plyometrics and how to actively be explosive, you know that that's going to improve every session. Um, mm. But with someone who hasn't i would take a very balanced approach like i think i would still be doing plyometrics every session but it would be more along the base of teaching them rather than actively trying to look for uh perform like performance boot or performance um increases from them if mm. that makes sense i'd want to do a like a i call it my uh, structural balance pretty much building the foundation if you think of a building you've got a shit foundation, no matter how many levels you have on top of it, it's going to come down crashing at some stage. And I usually find that's a case of an injury, which is the last thing I want with any of my fighters. Mm. So I'll build that foundation as strong as I can until I feel like they're comfortable to move, progress forward. Um, and then that's when I start actively getting into the nitty gritty of my periodization, because I feel like with the same thing, it's got, it go, always goes back to the individual doing the same thing with everybody is not going to get the same result, sadly. Make my job a shit ton easier. But yeah, it just it's, it doesn't work like that. So if you can address the athlete first, make sure that you've got things set in place that they know how to do these movements and you know that not just that they can do them in the gym, but it's actively going to carry over into the sport that they're doing. Um, I think that that should definitely take the forefront. Mm. if that answers the question <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> it's like <clears throat> when you because like you know plyometrics is a big thing and, I, and like i'm a big fan of it same thing like uh just like making sure like the they're strong enough and like you know it's not like in a sense like people think like you know like when they're strong they think like probably a power lifter or something like that and it's like yeah. and it's like it's obviously scalable to like you know the sport how big you know, pound for pound strength, but, um, but there, but do you see, uh, probably too common as well? Like in like, in, especially in the combat sports circles is like plyometrics get used too much as like a metabolic kind of training thing. And it's not really getting the, the training effect that it's built for. Oh, mate, box jumps for conditioning, you know, <laughs> I see it all the time. Hey, um, not as much as I used to, which is a good, which is good. Uh, it eases my anxiety, but definitely still gets used quite a bit. Um, 
I think it's just come from the CrossFit mindset. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people look to the CrossFit area, especially for combat sports, because it gives the same feeling. You know what I mean? You absolutely obliterate yourself into the ground to you like lying on the floor wondering why you did this um it's usually how i feel after pads um and it's why i like it's why a lot of fighters elevate or gravitate towards crossfit it's just because of the feeling it brings and it's like if you put a fighter in their strength sessions nine times out of ten my fighters don't even enjoy my strength sessions like they get some enjoyment out of them but it's not the training that they want to be doing they want to be hitting pads they want to be kicking the back yeah man like it, it can be it can be you know what i mean like you do one set and you sit down for five minutes waiting to recover but it's those things as well that progress you forward in your muay thai um and the thing that i see a lot with fighters is the inconsistency of strength and conditioning mm. because it's not one of those things that you can just do for three four weeks in camp and then leave it's because you're not going to get anywhere if anything you're probably like, you're going to make slight slight increases in your performance you might notice you're a little bit stronger through your lower body might notice you might make a little bit more force in your upper body but i find nine times out of ten when they do that it's just adding extra stress to the organism and it cooks them more that would like how you're saying you're getting to saturday and you're not really feeling too shagged right now they get into Saturday and they're feeling shagged every single time because they're doing yeah. five Muay Thai sessions along with four strength sessions because they think they need to be squatting, deadlifting, bench pressing, fucking bicep curling and everything along with that because that's what strength and conditioning is. Um, and it's literally just doing as little as you need to to get the, uh, what's the word, to get the adaptation that you want. So then that way you are, as prepared, as recovered, and as strong as you are for your Muay Thai. That's like yeah. that's that's my stance on it. I don't want like I want to do as little as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like yeah. Min- minimal dosing is definitely this. Like you know when I train for weights, you know no hates it. <laughs> that's fine, but like it's only needs them tw- twice a week. That's all you need, 100%. and then like any care of the other stuff. Yeah, you know, it's like he does his running and that because he just really enjoys it, and that's fine. Exactly. Sometimes he enjoys it. I don't know. <laughs> the tells he tells if he goes running with his dad. <laughs> all runs. I'm not a runner, then, hey. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, and then all the pad work as well. But like, yeah, but it's, uh, I think we like, you know, Hugh can say, say it as well. Like, you know, from what we're just doing, um, that's some pretty good stuff. And like he's, he's, um, he's consistent. Like we, we got our plans that go into like, you know, so far our camp into fight week. And then after the fight week, we are into like a, more of like a deload kind of session. And then yep. we're just kind of going to just like, you know, just kind of build a certain area until another fight has popped up. Okay. Yeah. We try and schedule it out a bit, but it's working pretty well for him. Yeah. No, um, yeah. yeah. Do, you, um, do you, so as we uh, just talking about there before, like sports is a very kind of, if your OCD is a like strength and conditioning coach, it's, it's very haphazard. <laughs> Like, you know, you get short camps or you take short notice fights. It's just like, you yeah. know, it's there. It's just, it's not very congruent to like training, like, you know, your, your, your micro, micro cycles. Yeah. Cycles. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Uh, what's, your, what's your usual uh, go-to strategies then? Um, so once I have addressed that foundation of my, my athlete, once I know that they're in a position that I can push them in any direction and they're going to be able to perform and they're not going to, 
put themselves at danger, you know, jeopardy of injuring themselves or even put them in jeopardy of just not wanting to continue with the training. Because that's another thing that happens, obviously, like Hugh said, don't exactly enjoy it too much. If they're not enjoying it whatsoever, then they're not going to keep coming. Um, as long as I can get them to see the benefit, like I'm happy. Um, but what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so like you know, bring oh, a, like yeah, fight, yeah, fight, like it's you know, back, it's you, back, yeah, it's short back. camps and like yeah, yeah. How do you uh, do- so I try and think, depending on what the fighter wants, if they're a fighter who is thinking in that sense of I'm ready to take whatever fight comes. If a fight comes on two weeks' notice, like I'm going to take it. I think the idea is is to do what you can to keep yourself in that off camp stage of training, very general but preparing the system so that when it goes into camp, it can perform. Because I feel like an off camp is obviously where you want to be focusing on things that you're like, one, if you're in your skill sessions, you're focusing on just getting better, you know, maybe practicing your sweeps or practicing how to land your right kick a little bit better. Whereas when you're in camp, you're more focusing about how you can use everything in your tool set to beat the other person. Yeah. I feel that's the same with strength conditioning in your off camp, you should be working on things that maybe you're not so strong in or just building up your lifts and building up your other areas of strength or these attributes that you're wanting to focus on. So with everyone, I'll always do an analysis, um, like a consultation, make sure I get an understanding what it is that they want to improve. So then I can put them in the focus points and make sure that they're actually addressed in the program. But it's just a case of keeping it at a stage. So if a fight does come up four weeks notice, we can pretty much transition straight into the in-camp program. No, no need to be doing any kind of preparation work, nothing like that. We can pretty much just shift straight into it and get stuck in. So then that way they are peaked on that fight night. Cause I want to make sure that they're not just ready. I want to try and get them into optimal position so that then when they are on fight night, they are as strong and as explosive and ready as they are, as they can be. To just a, an interesting point, um, like off of a few things that you said, uh, but by the question that, that I always like to to kind of come to, to strength and conditioning coaches with is like, do you think some of the problem at times can be like, because you mentioned, uh, you know, being a little bit more holistic about how you build someone's strength and conditioning. So like not taking like a quote unquote fight camp mentality to strength and conditioning where you're ramping everything up to a hundred for four weeks and then kind of doing nothing because the gains will not be great. The recovery yeah. will be sort of diff- That's like a mountain to climb. It's probably going to detract from your skills. Yeah. And, and I think uh, in conversations I've had with other fighters and other like Muay Thai, like technical coaches, why there can at times be a reluctance, I think is because when a fighter says, okay, I'm going to add some strength to conditioning. That's going to give me an edge. And they go and speak to someone who is completely separate from their existing kind of training ecosystem. That trainer kind of goes, okay, my job is to make this person strong, does not consider what are you doing this morning? What are you doing tomorrow? Just says, I'm going to give you a hard session under the weights and this is going to make you strong. And then that's where that point of detraction comes from, right? Like, is that like, if you got a trainer, you know, maybe you, you, you give your sessions a ranking of, 
one to 10. You don't want a 10 session in the morning and a 10 session in the night. Um, And, you know, correct me if this is is wrong from where you're sitting, you probably want technical sessions like when you're on the pads and whatnot to be those sessions that are nudging your nines and tens and probably your strength and conditioning stuff to be a little bit more supplementary as far as you can recover. Um, That's kind of like a roundabout way to the question is being, do you think there is an issue in fighters strength and conditioning as having training silos? So having a technical coach and then, you know, going on to add some strength and conditioning in and having those operating completely separate to each other. Is that something you've seen? Is that an issue that you see coming up? Like if you have any thoughts on that? hundred percent, man. Like I think it is so important to actively communicate with the skills coach. Um, and that's why, because like with the fighters I work with, a lot of like from Gabs, I talk to Gab every time I'm up there making sure that they he understands how they're recovering, making sure that he understands all the injuries that they're experiencing. Because like I had a conversation with him a couple months ago where he was saying that um, particular fighter was getting matched. And I just said to him, I was like, dude, her hips are shagged. Like her hips are not in, like, she's coming to me complaining after every training session that her hips are killing her. And he's like, really? I was like, did you not know? So there's obviously a lack of, like I, that there opened my eyes to say that there's obviously a lack of communication with some fighters to their coaches. Not saying that every fighter coach relationship has that lack of communication, but there's definitely a lot out there that do. So having that communication between the strength and conditioning coach and the skills coach is it's so important because as well, like as a strength and conditioning coach, you've probably heard a lot of coaches say this. It's not about the strength and the conditioning all the time a lot of it is about to do with the mindset and how they're dealing with stress and they'll, yeah, their stress management, their recovery plans, what they're doing in their time and just how they're feeling about everything. And I find that they don't like a lot of the time they don't ever tell their skills coach because they're too scared to. Yeah. They're scared that their skilled coach is going to crucify them and tell them that they're not working hard enough or that they need to just go for another run or do something along those lines. Like it's very arbitrary things that I've just said there but um yeah I think it's just a case of having that understanding from both parties to make sure that what we're doing is not saying that my training is more important than yours or your skills training is more important than mine which I personally do think that but like that's not what we're saying we're really just trying to come together to help the athlete be as successful as possible yeah and I think if coaches and coaches just take that approach then they'll notice that their fighters do so much better in their fights and as well just so much better in life yeah i think on that communication piece as well um from like a fighting perspective i know sometimes you get in situations where you're like ah man like you know my left hip's really really hurt and 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 you'll kind of feel like your job as the fighter is just to kind of ignore that and push through it because you don't want to be like man i've got this kind of janky injury because you almost feel like your coach's response is going to be maybe we shouldn't fight or your coach's response is going to be maybe we need to dial it back. So in your mind, you're like, I don't want to dial anything back. I want to keep yeah, pushing forward. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to work through this injury. Whereas like, I think like from a, uh, you, you got to come to that place where like, you understand that in your fight camp, like you got to head, like, like, especially as you get professional, like I know like I work with like, it feels like an army of people now because <laughs> like who's holding the pads for me and who's taking me through weights and stuff like yeah. that. But it's like, I feel like you're going to have a head coach and they're like to uh, apply like a corporate way of thinking is they're like the project manager, yeah. right? So it's their job to be like, all right, your hips hurting. We're going to do this instead of this. So like 
you can establish that kind of transparency where it's not about, all right, scrap it. We, we can't train today or, or like, Oh, why are you feeling like that? Are you, have you not been, like you say, have you not been working hard enough or something like that? If you bring it to the forefront right away, it's like, all right, this is how we continue to work at the pace we're working at, but also rest that. Like, I, I think as you get more experience, you definitely learn that. Um, your trainer is trying to keep you moving forward, but you're never going to keep moving forward if your if, if if your way of dealing with something is to just like just grind through it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, literally, prime example is me. Like, I so I got um probably was about three weeks ago. I got news from Dave. Um, he was going to put me down for the next Road to Muay Thai Grand Prix. Nice. Um, so yeah, that was going to be my that's like first fight, like pretty pretty exciting um but the last two and a half months my um like obviously been a year year and a half in still a lot of holes in my game <laughs> and one of them is getting kicked in the arm a lot uh specifically the forearm and it seems to be the one spot that always gets hit um and yeah progressively like just you know oh, yeah, it hurts hurts next week it's hurting a bit more hurting a bit more on wednesday man i had someone kick me i thought i broke my arm like it was fucked the whole bottom of my arm just was just you know when you get the pain feeling but it's like you can't feel it couldn't move yeah. my hand i was i was not exactly the happiest chap at the time i was a little bit worried um it's fine though it's good but it's just really badly bruised like i can genuinely like if i do that with my finger i can feel it like throbbing through the whole arm so obviously that to me scares me saying that if I probably copped a kick from someone who really knows how to kick mm. and like the people I train with, they know how to fucking kick um, potentially could break my arm or could do something else that would put me out for six to eight weeks. And like you say, I've been working like, you know, working hard. I don't want to stop working right now. Mm. Every single time that comes up, I just put two options in front of the athlete and it's Okay. With what's going on right now, we could take two weeks off and yes, two weeks off sucks, but we could work on some other things. We can look at er other areas that we can do that we can train because you can still train. I was like, or we could keep doing what we're doing and it could get worse, whether that be a muscle tear, labrum tear, tendon issues, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have to take four to six months off. And then we have to retrain everything that say be your Muay Thai movements, getting back in the rhythm of hitting pads, getting back in the rhythm of sparring. Then it's also getting back in the rhythm of doing everything in the gym. And then you've got to add on to the amount of sessions that they're doing. It's going to take an extra few months to get back into that starting position. And when I give that to them, I'm like, okay, what's the two weeks rest or a eight, potential eight month process? Every single time they go, yeah, okay, makes sense. <laughs> It's not, yeah. it's not even, it's not even an argument anymore. Yeah. And I'll speak on this, like, you know, but I'm literally the dumbest person I know when it comes to this kind of thing. Like <laughs> no one that I train with is as bad as me, but I think like fighters oftentimes don't understand like that concept of slowing down to speed up that it's like, all right, if we steer off course oh, a little bit for three days, and sometimes it is that for three, four days, and then you're probably going to be good to just yeah. keep on going. And the trajectory overall was upward. Whereas like, if you just keep, you know, trucking along, doing what you're doing, you really start to take yeah, like a nosedive that it's yeah. like, you got to communicate that, like the, the rest or the, the little, uh, 
move in another direction briefly yeah. is an investment in continuing that. But, but it probably comes to uh, maybe you feel is taking that holistic view is that I think fighters, uh, like we kind of touched on this a little bit, it's like they take a fight camp mentality. You're doing 110% for yeah. six weeks and then we're going to kick back for a little bit and then we're going to do 110% again. Yeah. That it's like people sometimes aren't working with that that big picture sort of view and it's like okay this is a little roadblock that Mm -hmm. we've got to and maybe i don't know maybe you feel do you think people sometimes in in muay thai especially i think you know i think what i feel oftentimes looking at uh combat sports and i'd be interested in your thoughts here i think mma being so new has made it and it is very new when you think of that it's like it's early adoption was only like 25 years ago and and then it's only around like 20 21 years old in its current form has meant it's been very adopting of of new methodology and it's Mm -hmm. kind of just been this melting pot of ideas where muay thai people are very uh attached to the idea of tradition um and also uh, it, it's a very old and, and kind of like a th- there's a tried and tested method kind of to it and maybe people are not as receptive um to that idea of uh like kind of introducing new ideas do you think people sometimes they have their way and like we talked about at the start of the episode is like a lot of people's way in retires you go for a long run you come and get smashed on the pads you do your spine and clinching and then you're going to knee the bag and, and do push-ups you know uh, people do you think sometimes people don't uh, uh incorporate kind of like more modern ideas so because when you're working in that way your option is go at it or stop doing it so that's why yeah. sometimes people will go at it and then until they physically cannot anymore and then the only op- option is complete rest yeah. until they can get and then then even then there's another problem is because what they're going to try to do get straight back to it the way they were doing it then maybe the, the potential for re-injuries there do you think sometimes people in muay thai don't have enough kind of modern uh contemporary options in their arsenal or maybe aren't looping in people to have those and and that sort of holds them back um so i think personally like if you look at the way the world is today especially with everything going on fucking sheeps everywhere everyone sees that that person's doing that. I, 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 if I do that, I'll get the same result. And I think yeah. that it, like, it's obviously not the way to go. Um, Ty being very traditional, they've, they've got what well, they get their kids starting at the age of four. They've been doing it for friggin' 20 years. They can, their bodies, even though it isn't stupid amount of load, I guarantee by the time they get to 45, 50, they're probably going to be in a lot of uh, a lot of not a lot of pain, but they're going to have a lot of uh, consequences due to the amount of impact from all the long runs, all the like all the trauma from fighting, because mm. their bone structure would be completely different to ours. So, I think people need to kind of take that on board when they think about if they're wanting to take that balls to the walls traditional way of training. Um, but for me, I always think about longevity. When it comes to fighters because what i think i've got like two clients who are older than 30 and then most of my other fighters are under 30 and yeah. like everyone knows that the peak of a fighter is between 30 to 35 like 30 or well, 30 30 to 38 is usually when they kind of start really or 28 i should say 28 to like mid 30s is when they really kick into their prime when they're really confident in their abilities when they get their grown up strength. Um, yeah, their power comes through. Yeah. And they've, and especially if they've spent that time doing the strength and conditioning, I guarantee mm. that their power is going to be a lot more than someone who hasn't. Um, so that's the kind of approach I try to take to it. So, 
And with that, with longevity, if someone's starting at 21, like we don't have to rush with shit, dude. If you're mm. hurt, like let's take a few days off. We'll come back into it. We'll re we'll reevaluate how you feel when we get back into it. Um, and then we can keep we can keep pushing with things. Um, and sometimes, yeah, like something will spur up that completely messes with whatever we had planned to focus on. And we just have to shift in a different direction. It doesn't mean that yeah, we completely stop or even though you're sore, we completely just fuck, we just put it to the back of the mind and keep pushing on. Don't get me wrong. I think there is times where pushing through uncomfortability pays off. But if it's in the sense of exercising through pain, mm. I don't think it's worth it. Like tr- sparring is different because in my opinion, like, something that sticks with me i heard this a while ago i don't know who i heard it from but a good way to determine someone's strength is their ability to manage pain depending on where it is if they can manage that pain you know that when they press on in future if that pain comes back again it's going to probably worry them less because they've dealt with it before it's not as much of a shock um but in exercising if you're in the gym and you're feeling pain i promise you it's not the same it does not apply the same way like if you're hurting in one session and you go do, you know, five days later, the same thing, it's going to hurt more. It's going to hurt more and it's going to do more damage. So making sure you're having the right mindset in the right areas, I think is very important as well. Not having the same mindset for everything. You know what I mean? It's like the David Goggins freaking mindset, fucking, you know, gotta, what is it? Gotta carry the bolts. Gotta bring those bolts in. <laughs> Like shit like that, I think, because I, I fucking love that book, but you got to have a very, like, you got to have that self, like self-awareness to know, all right, yeah, I understand what he's saying, but is this going to apply to me? Probably not. I can take certain things and apply it to me. And I know that that's going to help me get better as an individual, whether that be an athlete or a person. Um, but it's a case of applying it at the right stages. And that just comes with time. And I think once people start actively putting mindset and, real intent into what they're doing with their training that's when progression starts taking a rise given that uh you're both knowledgeable in this space i like to pose a question such as this um to to both of you i I think um from a fighter's perspective oftentimes i think like you can or not even a a fighter as much as like just athletes in general but i think fighters are, are extreme examples of athletes really um, I think sometimes the the effect of a session can be measured by essentially by pain and discomfort. Like, mm-hmm. so when you finish like a hard sparring pad work session, you're going to feel sore. It's like, it's abrasive on your body. And that's a part of it. Like that's, that probably means you did in some ways have a good session. There's no real way to do it without pain. Like you're slamming your shins into a hard set of pads and, and stuff like that. Even a session that goes well, even sparring, like if you're dishing out all, all of the, you know, the technique, it still hurts you. You know, it's, yeah. it's like in a fight, you're going to come out of it with, with sore shins, whether you dominate or or you have a battle. Um, that that logic, I think fighters often pull into the weights room or into the conditioning arena where they're like, for me to have had a good session, I should be, you know, if, if we got under the, under the bar, I shouldn't be able to walk tomorrow. Um, that, that, that means I, I worked well. And that's something that I think a more modern approach is trying to pull away from. Like I know for us, the Harvey says, I never want, my athlete to be sore from exercise during a fight camp um he says i i believe that you know there's a sweet spot for development and then it, it like that delayed onset kind of soreness 
his take now is like you should never experience it. Uh, I'm interested to hear from from both of you, like how you feel, what you see in fighters. From are they really tr- always trying to push it to a point of like feeling physical pain? Is it something that you feel is within their intent with this session? And how do you kind of pull them back and, and rationalize? You know, just kind of like overall, what what's your take on that? What do you see in it, and and uh, how do you deal with it? Who wants to take it first? Uh, I'll go. Okay. <laughs> a few funny stories from my own experience. <laughs> um, let's let's say like from my experience from there, because like you know, as I used to fight, didn't have a lot of fights, but then transitioned to strength training from there. From that one, let's let's. Uh, I'll tell you a story of me transitioning. Okay, from like you know fighting and then just becoming more strength orientated. So. I was originally trained, I was trained under Shannon Green, who was like one of the, at the time, like um, when the Charles Pollock, uh, certificates were coming through from that, he was one of the highest ones in the country. And I trained under him and I've done lots of, I did uh, internships with Charles Pollock and myself as oh, well. Man. So uh, you, you met him? Yeah, I met him a first time. Oh, dude, dude. He's, he was a, an intense individual. I can imagine, <laughs> man. That's, that's an experience to be able to do that before he passed, like, yeah that's really yeah. cool i didn't mind him he's like he was pretty abrasive with a lot of people and like he fucking like to give us shit especially the Aussie, but it's cool so but like yeah it's like i remember one time it's like we held a seminar here in the gym here so charles came here and and like you know it was one of those mindsets that still in this was like you know never put an athlete for a workout that you haven't done yourself okay so what we're we gonna do we're gonna do german volume training 10 sets of 10 on four exercises and this leg base today fellas <laughs> so it's like we're doing split squats back squats glute and string oh, and like uh, good for our next few I, i'd like to use this guys whoever does it the best will get all right cool i'll invite you to sweden the leco center from there so then that one so and and in the end i won that and i could not walk without crutches <laughs> two weeks you can't <laughs> see the size of this man's legs on the podcast but it was a rigged game from the beginning <laughs> but like but that I, I think what what got me through that was my fighters mentality because you know from there it's like you know yeah. fuck it, it's through. but like you know did, what did i get anything out of that session like in terms of you know like um like did Actual I do, performance gains kind yeah. of thing no. yeah. but like um but it made me but it also made me realize this as well like it's like well if i if i'm like this for two weeks imagine if i was like you know a fighter and if i didn't it's like you know it's like they're going to be able to train for two weeks. They'll never fucking yeah. come back again. They'll yeah. never see me. And then Charles, it's like, yeah, what, I'm, what I balance with Charles and like, um, <clears throat> is this, I, I see people like them. Um, also like people like Louis Simmons and that one, just, which I, you know, it was like, I took my strength stuff early from there. They, they were pretty broken guys by the end of it. You see them, like they push oh, their bodies to the fucking destroyed, limits. man. Yeah, like even Charles, like he's like you know, it's like he jacked his shit, but like you know, it's just, it was pretty in a bad way. Yeah. And then it just kind of made me realize, even my like mentor, like Shannon from there, strong motherfucker, but like you know, it's just two knee reconstructions and shit like that. It's just, it's like I want to, I want to like, I want to do a bit better. And yeah. I, so I, feel, I don't think you need to push yourself to that point to do so. No one, even though I, I still kind of get that mindset. Like I, I think I, I sprained one of the joints in my back the other week, <laughs> just, yeah. just pushing through shit a little bit too much. Yeah. But like, yeah, but I think, yeah, especially with fighters, like um, you got to hone it and just get to get used to like, you know, this is, uh, you got to see the, 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 the long vision. Yeah. Like, um, at the sessions from here, they're not going to be brutal. Like half at times, of course, but nowhere as near as like sparring. It's not uh, like, you know, and I don't want people like pushing themselves to fail. Like you shouldn't kind of fail under the bar. Cause like, if you fail, like, 
you but to the point that I have to take the bar off you from there. That's probably like, um, you know, that's, that's going to bite into your technical sessions. That's going to bite into your pre-sessions yeah. from there. And it's just like, you know, and we're not going to get anywhere. We're just going to spin our wheels. Mm. So, but like, you know, but people that train me for a while, you know, just kind of like they, they know the like, like, yeah, not every session is going to be ball busting. Some it's going to be hard, but they, they know it's going to fuck, man. You're like, you know, cardio for days. Like my kicks feel fucking strong. Like, you know, yeah. and then we go, go into the five week from there. I'm feeling pretty confident. You're like, I'm not feeling like beat up to shit either. It's well, what you want. it's literally exactly what you want. <laughs> and yeah. Um, and I think like same thing, like, you know, I imagine for yourself, Lachlan as well, like learning of people like uh, Phil Drew, like same thing, like, I've like learned from him as well. Like he would mimic the same kind of thing. Like it's like, you know, strength conditioning is important. It's like, especially if you're a pro, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's like every percent counts, but you let it like take over, you know, your recovery or take over, like, you know, bite into your recovery, uh, into your technical sessions. Yeah. Also what touching on what you're saying, like, I, I agree hundred percent with you. I think that sometimes fighters just, they completely, dictate yeah how well their sessions are based off yeah how they feel afterwards and usually it's based on pain um but it's just it's just not the way to go like you you see the mo- if you ever go on like if you go on down instagram and you see coaches talking about oh or not even coaches let's say let's put it into the sense of clients whether it be bodybuilding clients athletes whatnot at the bottom it will say something to do with their coach and trust the process because we can't really measure performance gains based off of how we're looking in the mirror. Like we can with fat loss. We know that the process is working because we're losing fat every week and I'm slowly seeing my six pack more and more. So we know that process is working with performance. It's not the same. We don't have the ability to yeah, take a look inside of our body and go, fuck yeah, those quads are getting stronger. Like sweet. Um, we have to do it in a calculated manner. So then the fighter can see that their performance is taking off. And if they're hurting every session or if they're hurting after every session, when they go and spar, they're not, they're not going to perform. Then yeah, they're, they're not going to perform to their best. They're not going to be able to move the way that they usually do because they're, you know, moving on their quads and it's like, fuck, it hurts. Like I'm having to do the toilet shuffle today, something along those lines. And it can, it really can hinder someone's, session but i do also think that there is a time to push someone to their limits and i don't for me like with everything everyone thinks about muscular development and how the muscles perform under load and like it's very true but with our area when it comes to preparing fighters the main system that i feel like we want to try and test is the nervous system because I believe that every session, especially in off camp, as you start getting towards the fight, I, I kind of think, well, I believe that you should start trimming the weights, like the heavy loads, maybe start like to start pressing into more potentiation clusters where you work with say loads of, yeah, like 80%, very low reps, but then carry it straight over into something, say like we're doing a hip thrust, three reps on the hip thrust at 80%, get them over to the bag to do explosive knees, five, like five explosive knees per side, You've got something in uh, loading the hips with the barbell hip thrust, and then you've taken it over to a movement in the sport that uses the hips to create power. You guys have been reading the same book. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of reading. I do it a sounds lot of reading. very he, familiar. He mentioned Louis Simmons, so, and I've read his book. So, yeah. um, But 
I think during the time, if you've got the, if you've got the ability to pushing your pushing yourself to I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, like maximally pushing yourself in the sense that's going to allow you to recover. If that makes sense. So like 10 by 10, you're, you're pushing yourself a hundred fucking percent, but you're not going to recover very well. Like walking yeah. on crutches for two weeks. And what's your kick going to look like when, you know, like to frame it in a lot of the time, if you're a fighter, like for me, my strength and conditioning is in the morning and my core fire training is in the evening. If yeah. you put me through that, what's my kick going to look like that afternoon on the pads? And if you can't kick, what are you really achieving? Honestly, bro, you, know, you can't kick, you can't need, you can't punch. Yeah, yeah. You probably won't be able to drive. <laughs> I'll get stuck on the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man, like it's, it's, it's one of those things and it's just, it's, you have to, you just have to understand what the fighters go through to think about those things. And it's like when you see coaches who have never trained some like some kind of combat sport in their life and they're coaching people on it, it doesn't, don't get me wrong, like I don't knock people, but it just confuses me. Mm. Like it, to me, it doesn't make a hundred percent sense because as a coach, you've got to do everything you can in your power to make sure that the athlete is successful. It doesn't matter what area it is, even if it's like, if it's a general person coming to train with me, because I still have quite a few general population clients that I train. They're coming because they just want to, I don't know, feel better every day. Notice that when they go to work, they come home and they have a little bit more energy um, and they just feel a bit stronger all round. If I can give them that without pushing them to their absolute depths, then I've, I've, I think I think I've done my job pretty well. And if I can give them new ways of looking into not just training but movement, it will carry it will just carry over into everything that they do. And I think more athletes can start looking in their training that sense rather than I need to be pushing myself to the absolute fucking limits every single session. Otherwise, I'm not going to be the best fighter that I can be. I reckon we'll notice that the Muay Thai scene, combat sports scene, just friggin' skyrockets, hey. It will just go up. It will just elevate, especially as well if we can get, like, because I've noticed that even though I do see a lot of holes in the strength and conditioning for the combat sports scene, I think there's a lot more coaches coming up in the scene that actively have their heads screwed on, which is nice. Like, they, they don't have a very extreme point of view on one thing and then a very extreme point of view on everything else saying that my way is the way and everything else is shit it's a lot more open-minded coming in the sense of this is what i do what do you do for your fighters mm. okay and then you like for example um tyler hardcastle um i i, I know his coach his coach is look uh, name is lewis greathead really good coach really switched on um and when i talk to him about the things that he does similar differences in the ways that i train people but very similar but if you look the way tyler fought on his last fight he looked unreal he looked did. absolutely unreal and apparently he was eating like three thousand calories before his fight yeah so, i read a little on, on instagram that apparently like one of the early things that they they figured out with him is he was training for his fights and basically eating about 1200 calories a day um, and he's fighting at the same weight. He's he's taking some fights a little bit heavier, but I think that's because he wants to stay busy. I, I do believe 67 yeah. still his way. He physically looks quite different now. Um, and one of the first steps that that they took was to get his calories right up. Um, so 
yeah, I guess it kind of goes to show you when left to their own devices, fighters will maybe not. Uh, you know, it's easy to think less calories means easier control of your weight, but it's not always that simple. Um, you probably see with fighters as well. And then as well, like when you're on that low calories, every kind of everything that you're doing when you're at such a deficit like that, if it's in the sense of trying to improve your performance, it's just probably it's it's just not going to go. It's just not going to have the same effect that it would if you were actively feeding yourself the energy requirements mm. that you need to make these changes. You know what I mean? Like if I was like if I was on twelve hundred calories a day, I guarantee you, if I went to deadlift today, I'd probably be I'd fucking might reach a hundred might reach 110 whereas on my best day i can do about 150 to 160 yeah you know what i mean it's like and to go from two times my body weight to nearly under one and a half like it's it's insane but that's what happens on such low such low food and then that also happens in their fights but the fact that these fighters are able to perform on such low food could you imagine what would happen once it starts elevating and all these fighters start getting the information about oh okay, like if I just eat a bit more, but making sure that I'm doing it in the right way, working with a nutritionist, like it's, I reckon these holes will just slowly get filled. And I, I'm really excited for the next 10 to 15 years of the combat sports scene, because I reckon it will become, in my opinion, probably one of the, I reckon it will be the biggest sport in the world. In my opinion, like if you look at the way other sports are, they're shambles absolute shambles friggin i'm a huge football fan or soccer fan and i don't even watch it anymore because it's just going to shit and the only sport that i see that is coming up and doing the right things is combat sports and as well because it's such a basal primal thing just getting into a cage and fighting with somebody it's it's appealing to everybody like it's appealing and i've noticed as well that a lot more people who have never even thought about training are hitting me up saying hey man like what's your Muay Thai class like I might go down and try it you know what I mean and like seeing a lot more people roll through gavs you know just like the beginners classes knowing that every week three or four new people come by it's it's a sign that Muay Thai is getting out there and more people are hearing about it which I think just means that it's going to be more and more money put into it more and more science more and more research and then you're just going to see the fighters just get up I reckon 10 to 15 years it's going to be a case of friggin who's fast enough to see, see the kick, not actively defend it. Like we'll be sitting there trying to watch like, fuck, that was so yeah. fast. I kind of don't even know what's going on. Like it, it's, I'm really excited for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You look at Muay Thai, like in Australia, like 10 years ago to now, it's like, it's, it's night and day. And, and to me, yeah. the kind of the, the biggest change has been like first time fighters, like sometimes, especially because it's like I, I, I'm sometimes involved in the the novice level officiating, so I'm watching them really close, and I'm like, well, like we have what is similar to WA. I think we have development days first, yep. where it's kind of yeah, like domination like, development day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like yeah. probably even a little bit like, like I think a, that that's a little bit more of an amateur show. Our, our like development a days. Day? It's like a sparring day with a winner and a loser, right? Like they they wear full pads and they have shorter rounds and and stuff like that. It's very, very novice formatted amateur. But I look at some of the technique on these guys that are just starting and it's crazy. Like the, the, the starting level now is, is unbelievable. Like I really think since I started Muay Thai, the guys in fights, number one and two are at the skill level that six, seven, eight fights used to be only a few years ago. And I think that growth is exponential. Like it's, it's exciting and, 
crazy to think like like where you know i'm an optimist too i i think things are are not perfect but i'm moving in the right direction and and I, i'm really excited to see where muay thai goes in the next 10 15 however many years yeah i 100% agree with you as well though like cuz i've noticed that and i think that's due to the fact that there is just better fighters now yeah there's just better fighters everywhere like i look at the gyms that i train in like i've got have you heard of you've heard of Bryony Soden yep um you've heard of Josh fan Sorry. Shout out. She's a big fan for the podcast. Yeah, we like her. Yeah, she's dope. She's dope. Um, and Josh, uh, Josh Day as well. Yep. Josh Day, yeah. Uh, we've, we've been trying to match him for a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. We've been trying to match him and him and Hugh for a little, for the last couple of years. Dude, uh, oh. Local showdown. Yeah, yeah, we got, we got, uh, we were oh, matched. Uh, yeah, I would never want to fight him. <laughs> when the Rona first came through, and now that feels like a lifetime ago, so we never got Dude, up. He's honestly never the got most, that back on the books. He's the most frustrating person to spar, hey? He is, yeah. he is just so body aware that like he, he will fake you out with three or four different punches and then he'll head kick you and you don't even know where it's come from. And I, I think, well, I've been sparring him for about a year now and I think I hit him for the first time two weeks ago. Hmm. <laughs> like actually hit him with a punch. I was like, nice. Did I just punch you? Rangy guy, rangy guy. There's a, yeah. a, lot, but, a lot to deal with there. But he's a very good dude. Um, obviously like working with Max. Yeah. Um, he did PTs for me. I like he'd be holding pads. He'd be teaching. He'd be telling me about the things that he does. And honestly, I'd say that the fighter I try and replicate a lot of my style to is Max. Like I think he's very smart, unreal very smart dude, man. unreal, yeah. very good Moy for Murph fighter. It's unreal. And especially watching his fight against Singh Payak, my god, like yeah, that I, was, I was very. That was like one of those if you, if you don't know now you know kind of fights that because you watch that and you're like yeah this this dude's going Insane. places. Yeah, dude, like I was there to watch it and every other fight, people were talking, people were drinking, you know, having a good time, waiting for the fighter that they were wanting to watch. As soon as Max come on, dude, it was silence. It was dead silence, just watching the fight and it was like a chess match. It was, yeah. It was scary. <laughs> and there was not much in that. There was not much in that. Yeah. I think even maybe Simpac was a bit surprised. Well, um, I think Max was, Max was actually pretty sick going into it. Yeah, Max was sick the fight week. I think he said that after round three, he felt like he had absolutely no energy, and it was and around was round kind of where Simpayak got to, yeah. to start stealing he, it back. Where he got, the, where he got yeah. the palm in the face in the clinch. That's where it, uh, mm. that's where I felt like it took over. But I yeah. think Max, the kind of person he is, he will use that. Like I'd, I'd be more scared that he lost. Yeah, because <laughs> he'll come back so much better. He'll come. Yeah, back. and he's a part of a very strong stable now. Um, down there you? in Canberra, yeah, yeah. Kieran Welsh is an excellent trainer. Um, Long they got fighters. they really, yeah, the guys that are training there full time. You got um, Tom Bomtona, um, David Pennant awesome, Daniel Marshall's really good, uh, Diandra, of course, couldn't name them all. They got a ton, but Charlie Bob goes through there, um, a yeah. fair bit now as well. That's a that's a very, very strong stable. Uh, I'm really excited to see. Uh, I'm a big Max fan, I'm, I'm yeah. excited to see him fight for them, especially excited to see more fights from him because there's not many on. Not many online that you can watch, really. Yeah, yeah, it's that's only... true. Like, I think, I mean, the last two fights, like uh, Boxukari and, and Singpark, that's two really big names. And he starched Boxukari. Like, that was like, you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe that was like the coming out party and maybe uh, even the, the Singpark. Uh, yeah, maybe I was well. speaking out. Yeah, that was just like crazy early, just crazy precise. And then um, to go and have that kind of performance against Singpark as well. Like, you know, dude's special. I'm, I'm excited to see more. Yeah. 
it's crazy man like and it's i just i think with people like that out there because like as as you know i honestly personally i think fighters are some of the nicest people i've ever i've ever met some of the most uh willing to give back as well i think because of the amount of selfishness that you have to have as a fighter when you come out of it you want to give back to some you, yeah, in some way. That's, that's a good way to put it. You know, when it's your turn, how much you need to take. So there's yeah. that kind of inherent desire to give it when when it's someone else needs it. Yeah, yeah that's, I, that's a good way to put it. And I think because of that, that rubs off on some of the actual current fighters. Because I, well, I've been through what I've just kind of what three gyms is the ones that I've really kind of seen: champions, Gabs, and three lions. And there's always a couple retired seniors who come down and train but they are noticeably giving back to their up-and-comers as well as a few fighters who are there who are the leaders who take charge and make sure that the up-and-comers are getting pushed as well yeah so there's like a healthy balance and i think that that there is just all of it blended together is what's gonna elevate the scene and just make the sport so much better that's exciting times exciting times all right man i think we'll just start closing off our time there's been a good time talking to you, Lachlan. Thank you. It's been, been really great being on. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Covered a fair few good topics, I reckon, as well, from that, so that people can take from. So, uh, yeah, some good talks and points there. So, uh, I hope, I hope uh, so. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, it's like, um, so where can people catch you, though? Well, you know, what's, what's the best place to find you? Uh, Instagram is the best place to catch me. I've got my hybrid and training conditioning page, which is where I post all the stuff that I do with my fighters and my philosophies on training for fighters. I also have a free four-week off-camp training plan that you can download off there for free. Um, and then I also have my personal page, which is just Lockie underscore Wilkinson, which is where I post all the things to do with me fighting. Awesome. Nice. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, and with us, remember, like, you know, like, subscribe, share the episode as well. Remember to check in the show notes for the GoFundMe, okay, for War on the, North Sh- uh, War on the Shore. Okay, guys. But other than thanks for listening. Peace. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Cheers. See ya. Thanks again for listening to the Combat Chat Podcast. You can catch all episodes on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and all other podcast platforms. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Follow your boys on Instagram, Facebook, at Combat Podcast. See you next week.